There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. It is difficult to solve serial killings in a large city like Baton Rouge. It is made even more difficult when there is more than one active serial killer working in the same area at the exact same time. On November 5th, 1968, one of the serial killers was born and, through a lot of hard work, was captured before he could make his victim count hit the double digits. A man whose crimes were made difficult to solve because another man was doing the same thing at the same time. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Derek Todd Lee was born on November 5th, 1968 in St. Francisville, Louisiana, to a father who soon left and a single mother who was happy to see her abusive husband walk out the door. She later remarried a decent man who raised Derek and his sisters as if they were his own children. Derek, who was raised in a small town, spent most of his childhood playing with the neighborhood kids and family. Once in school, Derek started to show signs of struggle. His sister, who seemed to be a star pupil, far outshone her mediocre brother as he struggled academically with an IQ that was later determined to be below 70 to 75. Then came the more troubling issues. By the time Derek was 11 years old, he had already been caught peeping into windows and torturing small animals. Then, at just 13, he was arrested for the first time for a simple burglary, though his voyeurism made him no stranger to the local police. And at 16, he was charged with attempted second-degree murder when he pulled out a knife on a boy during a fight. From there, the rap sheet got longer and Derek continued to escalate. After a few more arrests for his peeping Tom incidents and just narrowly escaping juvenile detention, Derek met and married a woman named Jacqueline Denise Sims in 1998, and together, the pair had two children. For the next few years, Derek seemed to live a double life. Devoted father by day who worked his construction job to make ends meet, and by night, a constant in the local bar scene, dressed to the nines and looking to pick up a mistress. Jacqueline knew about her husband's indiscretions, but was devoted to keep their family intact. So much so that she treated his arrests almost as if they were little business trips and a vacation from her marriage. Then in 1996, Jacqueline's father was killed in a plant explosion that awarded her a quarter of a million dollars. And with a sudden influx of money, Derek boosted his credibility with the ladies by buying new clothes, a sporty car, and had deeper pockets to buy drinks and gifts for his girlfriend, Cassandra Green. By 1999, the money was gone and they were back living off his meager paycheck. That's the same year that Cassandra gave birth to their son, and suddenly, Derek had another mouth to feed. 1999 was also the year that Colette Walker, a 36-year-old woman living in St. Francisville, filed a stalking charge against Derek Lee after he pushed his way into her apartment and demanded a date. She did not know him and was able to coax him out of her apartment. He left his number and suggested that she call him. The next day, a friend who lived near Colette asked her about Derek, who she had seen lurking around her apartment. And on another occasion, she caught him peeping into her windows. He was arrested, but after pleading guilty, simply received probation. 
He went looking for her soon thereafter, but Colette had moved. As the year wore on, things for Derek continued to head in a downward trajectory. Money was a constant issue. Things were strained between he and Jacqueline. And now, things seemed to be going sour between he and Cassandra. So much so that their fighting had escalated into violence and she had started proceedings to get a protective order against him. Three days later, he tracked her down at a bar and beat her in the parking lot. She pressed charges, had his probation revoked, and he spent the following year in prison until his release in February of 2001 and was placed on house arrest. He didn't even last until May before he was found guilty for attempting to remove the monitoring equipment, but received nothing more than a slap on the wrist. Now, while all of this was happening, a serial killer was alive and well, murdering at least seven women in the Baton Rouge area between 1992 and 2003. You see, all those times that Derek was out and about and not behind bars where he probably should have been, he was going to Baton Rouge, somehow getting into women's homes with no sign of forced entry, murdering them and dumping their bodies some of which ended up at the Whiskey Bay boat launch about 30 miles away from Baton Rouge. Because of some inaccurate witness accounts and FBI profile, police believed incorrectly that they were looking for a white man. Therefore, thousands of DNA tests were being given to white men in and around the area, which, of course, failed to reveal any viable information. This, coupled with his varying M.O., made finding the Baton Rouge serial killer a difficult task. With no real leads to go off of, police allowed the now-defunct company, DNA Print Genomics, to access the DNA left at one of the crime scenes so they could create an ancestral profile. When they did, they determined that the killer was actually 86% African, thus changing the course of their entire investigation. With renewed energy and DNA from under the fingernails of one of his latest victims, police worked to piece together the case and connected as many of the victims as they could. Then came a lead that would help the whole investigation. A survivor, the only survivor of the Baton Rouge serial killer. On July 9th, 2002, Derek Lee entered the St. Martin Parish home of a woman named Diane Alexander. In the middle of beating and raping the woman, her son walked in and scared him enough to retreat from the crime scene, chased by the young man through the back of the house and into a car that he was able to give a good description of. Between the car's description and Diane's memories of his face, a sketch was created and released by the police in May of 2003. Between the DNA, the physical description, and the psychological profile, police were pretty certain someone knew exactly who their killer was and just waited for the call to come in. And that's exactly what happened when police in a nearby town called in and said that their killer looked exactly like a peeping Tom that they had recently investigated. Not only that, but they had some of his DNA on file. The samples were run and it was a match to Derek Todd Lee. In total, he was connected to the murders of seven women. And when police got a good look at his criminal and personal record, they knew exactly why they had such a hard time capturing him. Derek was always on the move, changing jobs and addresses quickly and ending up in and out of prison, meaning the murders at first looked like random attacks of violence. Something that wasn't totally uncommon considering there were about 53 unsolved murdered females in Baton Rouge from 1991 to 2001 alone. 
It wasn't until he started focusing on the area near LSU and left the bodies at Whiskey Bay that investigators started to look for a serial killer. Once identified, Derek was located and captured in Atlanta, Georgia, where he waived extradition and was returned to Baton Rouge. His trial began in August of 2004, and he was charged with the second-degree murder of Geraldine DeSoto, who was found stabbed to death in her home in Addis. At the conclusion of the trial, despite arguments about his competency, Derek Lee was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Then, on October 20th, 2004, he was convicted of the May 31st, 2002 rape and murder of LSU graduate student Charlotte Murray Pace. For this crime, he was sentenced to death. He died of heart failure on January 21st, 2016, having only been charged with two of the seven murders police believe that he committed. Their names are Randy McBrewer, 28, Gina Wilson Green, 41, Geraldine Barr DeSoto, 21, Charlotte Murray Pace, 21, Pamela Kinnamore, 44, Trinisha Denise Colomb, 23, and Carrie Lynn Yoder, 26. Police believe he is responsible for other unsolved murders in the area, but DNA was not linked to any other cases. This may be due in large part to a second serial killer who was active at the same time period called the other Baton Rouge killer. We covered him in the first season of this show. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support this podcast, there's always Patreon, or you can just share it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.